A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. So for Tuari, you could see that because he had this tremendous devotion, and that's how he, when he called on a deity, you know, propitiated a, a deity, that deity came. I mean, you could feel the thing, you know that. Mm-hmm. And um, so that could only happen with this great love. So Ramdas saying devotion makes it easy to tune your mind in a certain direction. And that's where his mind got tuned into into an absorption of, of the one, period. Hey everyone, it's Raghu Marcus back with my mind-rolling partner, David Silver. Hi David, welcome to Ramdas Here and Now. This is the first time we've ever done anything like this. And everybody out there, I know you haven't heard from me in a while. Jackie's been doing the announcements and so on and uh, giving a little idea of what uh, Talk Ramdas uh, is going to be presented by Ramdas. So this is a little different in that we I, we wanted to uh, highlight this movie that David and I worked on together. David directed, I produced uh, over. It's more like going on six years now. Although it just it did finally come out five and a half years later from the point at which we started working with it, called Brilliant Disguise, The Samadhi of K.C. Tuari. Any of you who know uh, and are familiar with Krishnasam, been to his uh, kirtans and so on, he refers to him as his Indian father many's a time and, and tells marvelous stories, which gave us the uh, the prompt to do this picture because this this man who was a mentor of ours, those of us that were back in India in the day with Ramdas when he went back the second time, he was one of the four most important figures in our lives uh, at that point. Once Neem Karoli Baba left in 1973, we were fortunate that he he actually appointed, uh, which is a funny word, <laughs> There's a great story of how it happened in the film in terms of Maharaji saying to Tiwari, you take care of the Westerners now. And uh, how he went about that is is kind of really fun. Uh, and so we were privileged to have this being because he was, in his own right, a very high yogi, married with children and uh, was a headmaster of a of a of a private school uh, in in a mountain town in in the Himalaya, foothills of the Himalaya, and yet he had his life completely in balance, 
and he was one of the examples Maharaji had, and one of the most prominent ones, of uh, around Maharaji going into samadhi, a state of uh, divine absorption. You are absorbed into the divine, whatever that... I mean, we've all had a little glimpse of it, so I think we all have a bit of a feeling for what that is. Uh, but certainly that kind of absorption uh, we had never seen before. Uh, so that was one uh, way in which uh, we were really blown out by this man. Uh, but the, the most really uh, significant way was the way that he had us. When he, we were with him, we were part of his family. And that's the same with, and that's why Krishnas calls him his uh, Indian father, because Krishnas spent the most time with him and, and lived in the house with him at various times over many, many years. So I've gone on here. David, uh, you know, maybe you can just say a little bit about um, the direction of this movie and how it came about and how uh, it presents itself now. And now meaning, by the way, we've had it in theaters and on November 16th, this I think this podcast will come out around then or, or a week later, but it'll be available through ramdas.org uh, and, uh, you know, for a month just through us before it goes over to all the Amazon and all the other platforms. Dave? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I've been with Tuari and thought he was a oh, unique being, to say the least. But what's so great is that um, a few people decided to videotape <laughs> back in the day with very primitive high eight mm. cameras. Mm -hmm. And this left us with hours and hours and hours of footage that most people had never seen. And when I saw it with Raghu, I was just astonished at how um, it did evoke very well uh, this this man and therefore gave us the um, sort of spine or the, the backbone of the of the film because without seeing him, you know, in situ, as it were, in India, as well as in the United States, it would be rather difficult to describe mm. this man and, and pointless, actually, because unless you actually see him and get his ray, you know, his particular beam of mm. articulated spirituality and uh, honesty, and unpretentious spirituality that unless you had the video it, it would have been a very difficult thing however uh we did and then we could find easily the uh, six seven eight whatever number of, of westerners who were very close with him to talk to us in the united states and therefore get a context and see uh how his uh his whole thing affected him so much and, and just one final thing on that um it's very, very difficult to make a film about spirituality at all. And why? Because words and pictures don't necessarily give it. Vibration and atmosphere mm. give it. And the fact is that uh, Tuari in the film talks enough, and our friends in the United States talk enough, to give you a real sort of sense of what samadhi might be and whether you can at least aspire to meditate in such a way as to aspire to it without grasping or reaching or thinking, I need to think about this all the time. I think it stimulates that. It did with me during the making of the film, looking at it endless number of times. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was extraordinary to see this being. I, I tell the story in the film of being there with my mother 
And because it wasn't just around Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji that he would go into the state. It was around anything that suddenly inspired him to this, all I could think of uh, in terms of uh, the experience is awe. You know, it's just awesome. You're suddenly absorbed into this awe and this bliss and this love. I mean, that's what it looked like. And, uh, And it is weird because... I don't know, I don't know, Krishnadas or I or Jai Utah, I don't think anybody said to him, can you tell us what the state is that you went into so we know what we're looking at? I mean, that just didn't happen. And it just didn't even occur to it. Then we were putting together these extra um, scenes from the movie uh, that did, or rather, did, did not go into the movie that we had. And David just said we had all this wonderful footage that uh, our friend Kabir Das had uh, filmed uh, Tuari, and it was actually late '80s, early '90s. And so we had this, and we had these extras that we thought, okay, we're going to have a bonus extra. So everybody, by the way, when you go up to ramdas.org/slash/brilliantdisguise, you'll be able to see what it is, all the different offerings in terms of being able to watch this movie um, over that month, uh, November sixteenth for a month, and then, as I said, it goes on to the more regular platforms. Uh, so, in so we put these things together. And in it, and I didn't even realize it, and David, who had looked at, you know, this footage a little bit more in detail than I had uh, as a director, and I never even saw this, which was Tuari was given a vision by Maharaji of what Soham, which is, you know, a famous mantra in India. Soham, Soham, Soham. People repeat it all the time. It, it, it is a way to identify with that which cannot be named. And in the direct translation is, I am that, Soham. And Maharaji was saying to KC, you know, this is really BS, this Soham. What's Soham? So they think I'm repeating Soham. There's no repeating it. It is naturally. It, these are uh, I'm putting some of my own words in here, but basically he was saying this is not something that you can try and do because it is already happening all the time. That I am. That I am. That I am. And then he looks at Tuar and he goes, "See." Just one word, see? And Tuari goes, what he describes as a place, and the first time I ever heard him describe this place, there was no me, there was no Maharaji, there was no you, there was nothing. There was, I, he said, uh, it, uh, he basically said, it's ineffable. I can't really describe what it was, except for one thing. There was just constantly the sound, so hum, so hum, so hum. It was, <laughs> I was, I was blown away, really, by the fact that I, uh, all that time with him, I never really asked him, and nobody seemed to have. And, you know, as Jai Utah said, well, I don't know what he, what Samadhi is in the film, Jai says, but I sure know he was in a good place, that's for sure. So, um, we, the bottom line is, we felt this was something great to share with people because K.C. Tawari's perspective on life and the way that he gave us uh, so many different uh, aspects of the path to to tread upon with some 
grace uh, was extraordinary. I mean, he was really extraordinary. So to be able to share that. So here we are with this. So we're doing this on, on Ram Dass's podcast channel. And, and uh, what happened is we thought, wow, Ram Dass himself, there are themes in this film that he explicated extraordinarily well, as he does, uh, that we wanted to point to. And, of course, let everybody know that the film is uh, ready to be seen by anybody online. So we were fortunate enough to find uh, some of of the uh, themes and Ramdas discussing them. And so we're going to start, Dave, with uh, Ramdas talking about devotion and bhakti, which in this film is the central basically the central theme. This is about the path of the heart. And basically, it's a darshan of the path of the heart. In my mind, I think in the end, people experience this, you know, both of, of, of Casey's commitment to absolute, um, uh, the, the purity of his worship the purity of the way that he would bring down the divine presence through his prayers to Shiva or the goddess. Uh, I I had never seen anything quite like that before. And that is the love. It all goes back to love. And uh, and you'll hear what Ramdas says about that. So we're going to play this uh, devotion bhakti segment from a Ramdas talk, and uh, we'll be right back. Uh, The reason we have to go to these lengths, if you will, is because the quality of bhakti or devotion is really not something that we can sit down and intellectually figure out. It is something that has to do with the heart. And there's a little absurdity about talking about heart trips. There's something that one feels or one experiences in a, a realm that is not necessarily conceptual. So that I haven't um, made this uh, series of lectures very, very much talking about devotion and love because I thought rather than talk about it, we just let it sneak in on us through the kirtan, through the singing, through the the mala, the mantra of opening the heart, through just being together in love and let it all happen to us individually. Because that is the spirit of the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita is concerned with service and with wisdom, the higher wisdom but it is all ultimately in the Gita in a context of devotion and chapter 12 is in a way the the love focus of that particular bhakti quality of the Gita but if you reflect on the way Arjuna is taken through the sequence by Krishna you realize that at some point Krishna says to Arjuna is because of your love that I'm allowing you to hear all this and see all this and the vision that is bestowed upon Arjuna, which is an incredible grace to have that vision, the vision of the cosmic forms, the vision to open the third eye to see without looking, and the awesome and in a way horrible or awful nature of the vision, that was only bestowed on Arjuna because of his love, really, and his devotion and the purity of his uh, relationship to Krishna. And if you trace the sequence in the Gita, you see that there is a certain, what we call lower knowledge, lower gyan, 
which led to a certain kind of faith, because faith is sort of the lower mind having the faith in the possibility that it all is something else, which is what the higher mind knows, but the lower mind doesn't. And that faith leads you to purification, which we talked about last time. And that purification, as you quiet down, you start to open a bit, and that allows you to have some visions or some direct immediate experiences, which leads you to a deeper kind of awe and devotion to it all, and finally to the higher wisdom, which is the wisdom of the Brahman, and the wisdom of the Purushatma in relation to the Brahman. And oftentimes, I think that you may feel, especially as you are at Naropa, that there is a tremendous struggle going on between the head trippers and the heart trippers, between the gyanis and the bhaktis, between the people that say, be cynical, be tough, be cold, don't buy all that emotional crap, and the people that are saying, love, drown in the ocean of my love, it's okay. And it all looks sloppy and mushy and yich and the intellect looks so clean and tight, you know. But you've got to see that it's very much like a mountain and that the different paths start from different parts of this very wide base of the mountain and you start from where you're at. And then as you get up the mountain, these all things start to come together. And really near the top, it all becomes very, very, very intermingled. So that if in a advanced class or a weak moment, that couldn't be a weak moment, in an advanced class, you would get Trungpa, for example, to start to reminisce about his relations to his gurus or talk about the devotional quality of Buddhism. You would begin to sense a lot of these qualities which he uses, he uses words that are much different. He uses, I mean, the most emotional word he gets are things like warmth. See? Because he's being very cool. But when I'm with him, I feel this incredible, uh, loving, devotional being. Although I don't think that's his particular ray. And I think what you're being subjected to here at Naropa, in many different ways, through many of the different teachers here, is a recognition that the game isn't one of good and evil. You might sit around saying, look, he's a bad guy and he's a good guy, or she's wonderful and she's no good because they think that way. But as you get more sophisticated, you begin to recognize that as you go down the mountain, there are beings along the way down the mountain that are there to guide you, or that are vehicles of guidance, whether they think they are or not. They're placed in different parts of the mountain, and they represent what are called in theosophy various rays of God. And part of our work is to honor the various rays, honor the various rays through and realize that Trungpa represents a ray that is different than the ray I represent. It doesn't mean that the ultimate truth I can't share. Now the question is, how much your vehicle of getting to the top of the mountain should look exactly like how it would be at the top of the mountain? Or how much you can afford dualism to get to non-dualism? That's really the crux of the issue of devotion. Because devotion is a dualistic thing. It is devoted to something. And if you're going to have to give up subject-object distinctions, wouldn't it be better not to get stuck in them in the beginning? That's really the general way that the thought sequence goes. Well, the predicament is this, that in order to absorb the wisdom the, through this direct experience, you have to be very, very intensely one-pointed in where you're going. 
And part of the lubrication that greases the process or that opens you or that makes the whole thing much easier is an intense love for it. Whether you call it a love for truth or a love for God or a love for guru, it doesn't matter. But the emotional commitment is very intense. Recently I was with some very advanced students of Trungpa's up in Washington State. They are sort of people who head these kinds of things we're into now. Not these particular ones. But. And we were driving back in a car from somewhere and I was sitting there and I, they always kid me a lot about me being this kind of slushy devotional bhakti. It's a very loving kind of kidding, I think. And uh, at least it is the way I'm receiving it. If it's not the way they're sending it, that would be their problem, of course. Um, and they were talking about Trungpa, and they were telling Trungpa stories, which is a great uh, pastime among Trungpa devotees. And as I was sitting there in the car listening, I suddenly couldn't distinguish between this and sitting in India telling stories about Maharaji. It had that same total love and adulation, and you know what he did then? And, and then he danced around the stupa, and, like, and they were describing how he danced and what it looked like. And I turned around and I said, you know, you're nothing but a group of sloppy bhaktis. I can't stand you, you know. And, and they said to me, well, don't tell anybody. So I, of course, am doing that specifically right now. Because love makes the thing happen so easily. That opening of the heart makes it happen so easily. In, in the Psalms, David says in the Old Testament, because my heart was enkindled, my reins also were changed. And in that horse image, that uh, chariot image in the Gita, where the reins are the mind, and applying that, when my heart was opened, that made it easier for my mind to change. And that's really what the whole issue of devotion is, is a way of making it very easy to turn your heart in a certain, to turn your mind in a certain direction. And uh, at different times in the Gita, Krishna says one thing is higher than another, but in general, the devotional quality of whatever you're doing adds to what you're doing. And the whole business about dualism and non-dualism is, if you use a method that is dualistic, and use it with as much wisdom as you have. I can know perfectly well, as you will see in my talking about my guru, that that's not what it's about, but that's an absolutely first-rate vehicle through. And even though he knows and I know, and he knows I know and I know he knows I know he knows I know, still, it's okay. The method works, and then as the method works, you go beyond method and the whole thing falls away. But it has to fall away. The minute you push your heart away because you think it's too shoddy as a vehicle, it's gonna cling. You're gonna have a turned off heart and it won't work, the game won't work so well. Because head tripping will only take you so far and then you become like sort of parched dry leaves. And Krishna says in the Gita, it's very, very difficult to go the route of merely identifying with the unmanifest, which is the way of Zen, it's the shunyata, the way of just letting go of everything, nowhere to stand. It's a very difficult way. It's a very, it's known as the, the, the path that has no railing, the high path that has no railing. It's like going straight up the mountain with no hand railing. And if you can do it, do it. If you can be it, be it. But the devotional quality which sneaks into all these methods 
just uh, makes it all go so much easier. Hafiz, the poet, said, O thou who are trying to learn the marvel of love from the copybook of reason, I'm very much afraid that you'll never really see the point. That to the extent that you try to think your way through this devotional issue, it's not going to make it. When I see people individually now and then, I notice how many people are just so heavy into their heads and they're just so afraid to love, just so afraid to let the liquid flow of the universe happen to them. They may be very much into their bodies and very much into their heads, but their heart isn't open. Again and again I say to somebody, you know, it's just not a strong heart connection yet. Because to get through the door, you can't close off anything. It's all going to be wide open. So... Very interesting, right? Uh, and uh, I, yeah. I must. I, I had a couple, uh, a couple of things, but I'm hogging time here, so I want to let you, you know, make some comments too around this. But um, I think he Ramdas refers to something that I think is is so important because this talk actually came from uh, the Naropa talks. That, so he, uh, as you know, in 1974, he, and just a couple of years after we came back from India, because I happened to come back with him at the same time, and uh, he was invited by Trumpa Rinpoche to Naropa, and he did this amazing Bhagavad Gita course, which we've had up on Love Serve, Remember, mm-hmm. Uh And uh, so he makes references around, he talks about devotion and bhakti, and he talks about it in relation to the Gita, um, it's like Krishna gives uh, the vision of the cosmic forms to Arjun and and says, I basically, I did this because of your love. That is the central uh, theme here, because of your love. And, and, and all I get from Tuari and the way that he had the grace to go into these extraordinary states called of samadhi was... It was love. I mean, because I experienced it directly with him. And I said, I, I had gone to India uh, with my mother and we, and Tuari came with us and we, three of us just went on a, a little bit of a pilgrimage. And he, he asked us, my, for instance, my mother just said a simple thing about uh, what spirituality really meant to her. And it was an example of it. And she said to Tuari, you know, Cleanliness is next to godliness. Okay, it would. I mean, you know, nobody would think anything of that. He went into samadhi. <laughs> Why? You know, because he was driven by the purity of her relationship with that particular concept. That was that was like the divine to her, right? And he went out on that, and that was just you know love. So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm just really gets into it in these clips you're going to see uh, on a slightly different tack. He talks in, in this one, if you remember, about miracles and what is the place of miracles in the dance, as he said. You know. And I, again, it, it goes back to what Rogers is saying, that, you know, love is the is the engine and it's also the destination. <laughs> and so a miracle blows your mind, you know, and you think, oh my God, that's beyond anything I could imagine happening because it's supernatural or supernal is my preferred word. Mm-hmm. Uh, supernal. Mm-hmm. Because supernatural evokes all kinds of things which uh, have been, you know, sort of corroded by comments by people who don't know nothing about it. Um, 
The Miracle of Love, as the book is called, he says, well, you know, the miracles will just ignite this. And then, surprisingly, they quieten you down. And he talks about that at the end, remember? He says, quieten down. And I love that expression, quietening down, instead of exploding with somatic bliss and fireworks mm. and all kinds of psychedelic stuff. He said, well, that's all very well, that's nice and everything. But it's basically decorative. I mean, what we're looking at here, and he's the best person I've ever come across to articulate this constantly, if you listen to these incredible podcasts that uh, Rog has put together, uh, the team has put together as well um, on, on being here now, you know, these are really, really similar in the sense he never stops telling you that you got to become somebody before you become nobody. And what does he mean by that? He means you have to grasp, you know, what your, if, if it sounds dualistic, it's the road to non-dualistic grasp or uh, a, a sense or an atmospheric sense a glimpse as you called it before of something that we just don't encounter in our day-to-day -day lives particularly as we're conditioned to be part of a societal construct which says that all that stuff is nonsense mm, yeah. so so around us is our is our savior in that sense not in a in a, a jesus type way but in a a way of helping us, as he always did, help us get to that point where we understand that you can't strive for it, you can't grab it, you can't do anything like that. What you have to do is just be yourself until you're not, and you cannot not be yourself until you are. And then, as he says many times, the who that you think you are is watching, is being watched by the who that you are. Yeah. Until the who that you are tells yeah. you who you are, you don't know who you are. <laughs> and... <laughs> There it goes, genius. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, the the central thing here that connects, which is what we're doing with this little podcast, connecting the themes in the film to the, the Ramdas's teachings, basically. And uh, when he says, uh, and this isn't direct quote, but devotion makes it easy to tune your mind in a certain direction. He, I think, no, that's a direct quote. It's, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it, from is. this excerpt that we played. And again, I go I go back and I think about Tuari and the way, or even any of us that suddenly, you know, we've all, uh, even if you're not a big, you know, a regular meditator, I'm sure most of us have had a, an experience of going beyond our little limited self into an expansion, just a feeling of expansion. You know, like... Obviously, with a psychedelic, but a yoga class, uh, listening to a chant, or you know, reading something, dream—you know—there's so many different ways that it occurs. And uh, so, for Tuari, you could see that because he had this tremendous devotion, and that's how he, when he called on a deity, you know, propitiated a, a deity, that deity came i mean you could feel the thing you know that mm -hmm. and um so that could only happen with this great love so i ramdas saying devotion makes it easy to tune your mind in a certain direction and that's where his mind got tuned into into an absorption of of the one period so amazing actually uh yeah really amazing okay next and you already mentioned this, uh, but we're yeah. Gonna... I, I, I jumped the gun a little bit. I'm nah. sorry, 
but Maybe we're gonna we're we're just gonna uh, play uh, a piece, uh, and it's miracles. Uh, Ramdas addressing miracles and what they are, and so on. And um, let's play it, and then we re- we'll be right back. Saints are often called the living dead. Maharaji was joyful, laughing, playful, a tremendous wise guy, a real rascal, and yet he was living dead. And because of that, he could hear what chutzpah to hear, you will live and you won't. You I can take on. At one point, he's at the home of his, the, the warden of those prisons of, of uh, U, U, Uttar Pradesh. And in the middle of the night at four o'clock, he wakes him up and shakes him. He says, come on, we got to go. We got to go. And the man says, I'll get the car. And he says, no, 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 we'll walk. And the Maharaji walks barefoot down the street at four in the morning and walks through town from the Hindu fancy section into the poorer and poorer section of town and finally into a uh, very, very uh, extremely poor, dirty section that is a Muslim section. And he comes to a place which is some old corrugated tin between two other buildings that's got a little sort of hut, which got a little window in it. Maharaj is a big, vast being. Somehow he opens a little window and he's inside. And the other man is following along and is the one that's telling me the story. <laughs> And inside, there is a boy about 10 years old who has typhoid fever. And he's shaking. And Maharaji gets, comes in and he walks over to the boy and he says, get up out of that bed, get up out of that bed. Very, very angry. The boy's never seen this guy before. The boy is very sick. He pushes himself off the bed. Maharaji immediately lies down on the bed and starts to snore. There is an old blind grandmother who takes care of the boy. Who's there? Who's there? The man that's with Maharaji says, it's a great saint mother that has come. And there is a moment of confusion in her mind. And then the next thing a Hindu thinks is, what can I offer him? And she, she's, there's nothing in the place. Which point Maharaji sits up and he sees that next to the boy's bed is a rusty tin can with water in it that the boy who's got typhoid fever has been drinking from. And he says, mother, I'm very thirsty. And she comes over and she takes the can and she offers it to him. And Maharaji, who at that moment, he turns to this man who is Mr. Marocha, who's a Brahmin. And Brahmins, they only eat food prepared by other Brahmins. And everything's got to be very pure. They don't even eat when you're around because your eyes could destroy it. (laughs) Maharaji turns to him and says, you want a drink? (laughs) And the guy says, oh, no, Maharaji, that's all right. And Maharaji says, oh, and drinks and drinks and puts it down. He says, oh, my, thank you. That was so good. And he gets up and leaves. And the boy gets better. 
Why that one? What about the boy next door who died? How do you figure the game of what role all the miracles play in the dance? See, you can't figure it out. You can just keep quieting down and quieting down and emptying and emptying and allowing them only to be a, a kind of um, message that it's all possible and that it's all other than the way you think it is. That's all. Just allow it to be that way. Hi. So, miracles. Of course, Ramdas said many, many different times, uh, he has said over the long, long teaching span of his life, that when he first met Maharaji and Maharaji did these miracles, you know, he felt the power of them, and he was... You know, he was a little bit taken over by them, as we all were, because you, you, we just never had experience. Somebody absolutely knowing everything about you, past, present, future, and uh, and and doing the kinds of things that he he had done over many many years, miraculous things, and it bowls you over. But ultimately, Ramdas realize that was just the come on to uh, get us out of our, you know, little me people, little me pee minds, little pee pee minds, you know, <laughs> that we were just absolutely believing in and it needed uh, an, a shattering. And that that's what miracles do. They, they shatter that uh, Maya illusion. And uh, what I love though... I think he starts this thing, right? Did he say at the beginning, saints are like the living dead? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, the, the idea of putting a mirror in front of someone's mouth, thinking that they're actually dead because there's no breath, and someone says, no, 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 that's just Casey. He's He's gone for a while. And I mean, it's easy to say that, but that, you know, the samadhi itself was a miracle, not so much just observing someone or realizing someone's gone into that state. But the effect that can have on all the people he meets, the people yeah, that he's around it. that time, and so on. And, you know, that's so important. And I think, to get back to why we made this film, yeah. uh, you know, it's nice to see someone who's recognizably a human being, you know, wears a shirt, uh, has his hair cut, uh, teaches children, eats, drinks... As a wife, you know the whole thing. Has children, has the has whole children, thing, the whole thing, and he's very much like the rest of us in one way or another. And then you see that all of these wonderful people who met him are able to say, "With and they're not idiots; they're very clear." Thank you. Dan. Saying, well, there are exceptions, but yep. you know, <laughs> no, seriously though, when you listen to Krishnadas or, or Kabir or, or or Parvati or any of these incredible people, you see that they saw something that was extraordinary to them, and they were already on the path, or they wouldn't be there. And then they saw this, and I saw it myself. And what it does is it gives you that sort of vicarious glimpse, but it's much more important than the word vicarious uh, suggests. It gets into your bloodstream. And once it's in there, once it's in there via a man like KC, who was thoroughly credible, 
not a cook or any of those horrible words. He was a totally centered, balanced, and funny, humorous, empathetic, compassionate human being. Non-judgmental. Let's non-judgmental, right. So it's 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 great for someone who's never met him to be able to see a film. And I'm not doing some sort of cheap promotion here. I really mean this. That um, when I've seen things that, about stuff that I just did not know, it affects my whole life forever. I think about mm. it forever. Mm. And that's what, I'm not saying this will do that, but I, I honestly feel from the people who talk to me about seeing it, that it makes you think, wow, you know, there is a hope for me too. Mm. I can meditate, or I can just be in the presence of someone like that. Or I think as, as, as maybe Ramdas himself said at one time, if you can't do anything else, you'll get there. Just be compassionate, be kind. Mm. And that's a lovely thing to hear. And he was compassionate. He was kind. He was tough. And he would tell you if he thought you were going down the wrong path. But there was a yes within the no. That's always with Casey. No matter how much no, there was a bell ringing yes within that. And that that was so effective in changing us around, really. Mm. So grateful for that. Yeah. And in in the movie, of course, there's, uh, I mean, there's stories of actually Casey, you can't say doing miracles, but miraculous stuff happening around. And that's what happened around a being like this. It naturally occurs because there's, he wasn't completely enlightened necessarily. Uh, he was way advanced on the path, more advanced than many, many of the spiritual, uh, ubiquitous spiritual uh, leaders that come to the West and so on. I mean, he was extraordinary, but... He was real, and uh, uh, so what's interesting is that he told us, and you can feel this in the film, many stories of uh, being with Neem Karoli Baba, with Maharaji, uh, in in different parts of India, with different people, and, and so on, that very few people uh, got exposed the way he did. He he was one of the, I mean, I'm sure top uh, five or so people that spent the most time, Sidi Ma being one of them. And uh, so he was privy to all this incredible stuff, these miracles. And he used to tell us, I'm like, whoa. And, uh, and we knew it was, there was no manufacturing and there was no hyperbole, which there is sometimes with Indian people, but this was not a normal person to worry. Uh, and so it played uh, the into the realization of some of the teachings through we got through the legacy of of Hanuman as the perfect servant, who Maharaji would say is just the same as Christ. We we there was a direct connection from Tuari to us, uh, featuring these just really wild experiences that he had with with Maharaji that he witnessed, and we got those. That was another um, powerful reason to share this. Like as Dave, as you just said, the reality is wow. There's we can have some hope that we can evolve and transform. You know, it doesn't mean we're going to go into samadhi in this lifetime, perhaps. What it means, though, is we can realize that there is, 
there is very much a path to getting out of our little selves, for sure. Uh, but I like in, in Miracles, uh, Ram Dass's, uh chat here, one of the things he talks about is Maharaji saving one person and not another. And there's a famous story that KC used to tell us that somebody came running up and said, oh, Maharaji, there's a woman, she's very sick and needs you to come and, and, and save her and so on. And ultimately, without getting, you know, I don't remember the all the details, but Maharaji said no, or said something like, she'll be okay, and she dies. And, and Tuari goes, you could have... You could have saved here. What are you, some kind of butcher? He talked to Maharaji like that. I mean, that alone was extraordinary. And Maharaji said, why? You wanted me to be like all the other puppets? You remember that story? Yes. Yes, I do. And so, you know, then you start to realize there's not somebody in, and this gets portrayed in the movie. I, I feel that you get that Maharaji was not doing things because he was thinking he should do one thing or, oh, I should save that person. Oh, no, that, that they were happening through a, a, as a, a vehicle of the divine presence. I mean, I don't know how to really state it in any kind of accuracy, but you knew that there was nobody doing anything like the way that we understand people doing things and so on. So this is so well expressed by Ramdas in this uh, uh, segment on miracles. When the eye thought goes, the eye thought and the breath are one and the same thing. They are the last things to go. The last things to go. So when you give up the eye thought and go into this place, so you go through the doorway at that point. This is where you go through the doorway and go into your Atman. At that point, your breath becomes very, very, very shallow. I recall my guru was uh, sitting one day having darshan and um, uh, uh, many trucks of soldiers came by, stopped, and the soldiers all came out to come up and touch the guru's feet. They did the whole thing. And one guy, for some reason, which I didn't understand, but the guru obviously did, something about the guy's karma or something about what maybe demonstrate, I don't know. It was, it was at all levels appropriate. He said to this guy, come here, sit down here. He said, um, you've been fighting with your commanding officer. Oh, yes, Maharaji. Oh, I'm sorry, Maharaji. He does that all the time. He knows it all. It really blows your mind when he keeps doing that. Somebody will come and say, will I get that promotion? And he said, No. <laughs> And the guy won't get the promotion just because he knows. He knows where, well, I'll tell you about that later. Tell you what it's like on the other side of the doorway afterwards. You gotta get there first. Mustn't rush ahead. Alright, so then he says to the soldier, sit down. Soldier sits down. And he reaches over and he touches the soldier in the knee and the soldier goes into Samadhi. It's like that. So, I look. Guy sitting right next to me, and his eyes had turned up, and he was just sitting there talking, and suddenly, boom! And he's like, Whoa. the guru says, "Push him." Well, I you know, you can't push another guy. You don't know. Push him, push him, push him, push him. Push him. <laughs> okay, I push him. It's like a rock. Nothing. 
I'll push him. So I push him, he rolls over, he stays completely like, like, like he's a rock. So he says to one of the uh, people, uh, bring a mirror, bring a mirror. Bring a mirror. Gives it to me. He says, this is all demonstration for me. So he says, put it under his nose. Put it under his nose. No breath. <laughs> he says, what do you see? <laughs> what do you see? I don't see anything. Is he dead? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Any pulse? No pulse. Dead. Mm. He smiles, touches the guy, and goes, Thank you, Maharaji. Thank you, Maharaji. The guy walks out. What do you see it was all about? A lot of nutty stuff. Oriental fakery. <laughs> Snakes and ropes and things like that, you know, well, that's all that. <laughs> they were in cahoots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so far out. So much farther out than you even think it is. That's what's so far out of us. No matter how far out you get, it's never as far as this thing really is. That's what, what, well, I can't begin. <laughs> I can't even begin. I am not this thought. Who would have ever thought you weren't your rational mind? Who would have ever thought it? The way it's described, <laughs> certainly your rational mind didn't think it. <laughs> I lectured at Harvard a few weeks ago, and a guy says to me, about 11, you know, I started at 7, and it was like 11.30, so one guy says to me, what makes you think your system's any better than my system? He said with his rational mind. <laughs> and I can't answer him. No answer. No answer. Because what I am talking about, in order to understand what the guru did when he did that, and I'll explain it to you, <laughs> what he did when he did it, you cannot really totally comprehend it with your rational mind, no matter how hard you try. Because it's it's a meta system, if you will. But if you can say, I am not my thought, and know it, and go behind your own thought process, then you know. Then no words in this. So what really struck me, uh, I, I had heard this story before. I guess I hadn't heard it in a long time. That particularly the story of Ramdas is there and the soldiers. Soldiers used to come to the Kenchi Valley where we were with Maharaji uh, in, in the foothills of the Himalaya. And yeah, whole units used to come by and get darshan. They knew he was there and they were going up further up into the border areas where they were stationed. And one day he... As as you just heard, he puts he puts a guy in samadhi, and Ramdas is there. This is, I I think Ramdas had experienced this before, but if so, only once or twice or something, you know, where he actually experienced being next to somebody who went into this absorption state, and I think this is from his first trip to. Uh, to India, I may be, I might be wrong. It might be the second time he came, he went back. But the, when he he said, "Well, push him," I love that. <laughs> he put it, get a mirror. He actually said, "Get a mirror so you can see whether or not yeah. he's breathing." Yes. No pulse, no breath. You know, unbelievable. 
and and he was a soldier. He wasn't, you know. Yeah, right. He uh, wasn't a yogi or something. <laughs> no, he wasn't. You know, no one looking for that. He was probably thinking about, well, hope we don't get shot tomorrow. I mean, that's the kind of person that could be influenced by by a true Mahasiddha. I mean, for for me, you know, Casey is just many things. But he, he, you know, as Raghu just said, you know, he may not be, you know, a guru in in the, in in the classic sort of sense of that, or a fully enlightened being. Who are we to say what he was or he wasn't? But he helped people, and he he made it possible for the glimpse of that moment when you lose uh, the ego thought system. And you go into another stage. Not only does that help people who hear it, but it's also something about the um, the bardos. Yeah, because I was just you know, going to think in that. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're in the body, you're dead, and first of all, you don't know you're dead, and then you see someone you like, and you say, "Oh, am I dead?" Yes, you're dead. Oh God! And then you have moments, various stages of moments, and certainly the Tibetan book of dead, where you can move on. You can move on, and and within the life is how you learn to do that. And Tawari was excellent at just pointing people towards this is the way you may find something which is beyond desire, beyond what our society tells us we should be aiming for. Mm. And he does that beautifully. And in the movie, which we're very pleased about, really, I mean, we're not smug about it, but it it, it does it to me even when I see it after all these years of working on it. There's a moment I'll just look at it and go, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten that. Mm. I can do that. I remember that. And what could, be, what could be better, you know? I mean, it's not typical of the way so-called spiritual films are on TV or wherever they can manage to go. There's no scandal here. There's, no, um, there's nothing weird here. Right. It's all a kind of a pure journey. And yet, like... You were saying before about the miracles. The samadhi comes from the miracle because it breaks through. There's a breakthrough, right? So in the piece, which is my favorite piece in the film, when he's out there with Sidi Mahan, and they're they're talking about the miracle of the words on the leaves that they saw. Ram, Ram, yeah. The word Ram on the leaves. Now, just think about that for a minute. Here's a man who's a school teacher and a, and a, a totally normalized human being who does plays his taxes and so on. He's saying, I sat there, and no, they weren't just on that tree. They were on all the trees and all the bushes and everything. You'll see it in the film. And they just sit there, and, and they know that that happened. And yet it's being spoken by someone who doesn't look or sound much different from you or I. Mm. So it, the impression it made on me was very, very profound. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, and, and certainly this film is brilliant disguise, the samadhi of K.C. Tawari. So... Uh, delving into what samadhi is and how he passed on something to us that suggested uh, the kind of absorption outside of the basically the attachment we have to our uh, ego personalities and so on. Um, it's uh, I've been well. You and I just did a, pi- a podcast on mind rolling, which, by the way, suggests to everyone. It's uh, we did a podcast around Pema Chodron's new book, uh, The Way You Live is the Way You Die. And getting an understanding of what would ha- what happened, just the very fact that Tuari was no longer in a consciousness of duality, that seemed absolutely apparent through the samadhi. That, that, there's no question about that. 
it it was uplifting because you could see pictures of him that we have in the in in the film, like Sri Ramakrishna. For those of you who uh, know that great saint uh, from Calcutta, who would go into these same states of, of of absorption, samadhi, and would his body would express this bliss through mudras, hand mudras, and so on. You could just see by the glow on the face. So bliss is involved in this absorption and so on. But what I take from this, even even for us uh, little guys, <laughs> you know, that we have that little glimpse I talked about a little bit ago of absorption through whatever processes we may be involved with uh, practices. And that just that little absorption is a bardo because we are leaving one um one uh consciousness to another consciousness and in that you know and so there's a state of uh there's the change and then there's a completely different state which is uh, uh liminal right in between and uh i think that that's a great way to think of us uh not that we're we're going to get this big samadhi experience we're going to meditate the shit out of ourselves until we get that nothing like mm. that just mm. the fact that the the consistency and the desire and the love of not just for us to transform but for us to be of some use to our fellow humans just that kind of of that ramdas so well represents in love and service just that uh, will will um, create these states, which I th- I believe will enhance our final movement towards the death bardo. So I, I, I does that make sense? Yes, I'm just thinking it, of it. No, it, it does, and I, I mean it, it makes sense because that's what Tori did. That was the, the sort of metamorphosis he did with you, it, it, without any kind of jargon. Or, you know, you must have a straight spine. Or, you know, you must be sitting down. Yeah, you know, he didn't do any of that. I mean, he, yes, he meditated and he went into body. But for us, he just felt that we should try and, you know, be honest about who we are to begin with and what we need. And he would say, you should meditate. That, that wasn't, but he wouldn't sit down and say, this is how you should meditate or anything like that, as, as far as I know. No. And this, this, this sort of catalytic thing that happened with him was so good for someone like me who, you know, had not, I mean, I, I grew up as a total agnostic, you know, in an agnostic family. And uh, it was very hard for me to get into this stuff. <laughs> and Ramdas was a tremendous help. But then when I met Tuari in the late 80s, there was, that was another moment when I felt so so blessed to be around someone who was thoroughly negotiable with, thoroughly, you could joke with him, he came to my house and smoked cigarettes with me, you know, he did things, he was, he was a guy, you know, he was a person, and he wasn't really trying to be anything other, but he couldn't help it because his karma took him to that point where he was naturally flowing with that continuing consciousness that Ramdas talks about all the time, that we, we we need to know this stuff, because otherwise we're terrified when we're dying, or even when we're ill, you know. Um, it's, it's or any kind of impermanent situation yeah, from a loss right. of a job and a relationship. I mean, we right. go through these bardos. 
Right. And it, yeah, no, he's a, a fantastic uh, example of somebody who was was ready for the next moment without, and he he wasn't thinking about it, but he was fully present in each of these moments, you know, and fully present with with these. You you'll hear uh, or see in the in the film at the end of the film this extraordinary thing that happened. Uh, with uh, his grandson, who uh, just uh, came close to death, and Tuari was was not well at the time either. And and what happened uh, is uh, nothing short of miraculous for sure. But you know, uh, and I won't give away the punchline on that. But uh, yeah, the way that he could approach each moment, which leads us to the the next. Um, Oh, yes. little excerpt from Ramdas, which is around uh, awareness and witness. Uh, it leads us to, to me, one of the most powerful exchanges that we had through those years with Tuari was around mindfulness. And uh, I can't, I th- so helpful, I can't uh, tell you, and I talk about it in the film a little bit, what he used to do personally to me in terms of helping wake me up on a, on a moment-to-moment basis, but he did it with everybody he was around. He was, yeah, he was Mr. Mindfulness, and that was, I think, one of the... Uh, there's no reason, Maharaji didn't have reasons why he said, to our, you take care of the Westerners, but... Certainly, this is a big part of it. So here's this uh, excerpt of a talk from Ramdas around awareness and the witness. Now, I'm just giving you the different strategies for starting to play with your mind. There is a slightly different strategy, which is variously called by different names. You could call it the witness. You could call it mindfulness stages. The way it starts is, like somebody calls me and they say, Ramdas, I'll give you the best example I have. Woman called me. This was back in the 60s. I was living at Millbrook, New York. Woman called me and she, in the middle of the night, and she said, Ramdas, I'm going crazy. I've gone crazy and I'm about to kill myself. She called me from California, three in the morning. You wake up to, I've gone crazy, I'm about to kill myself. You wonder why is she calling me? I mean, it's, but. And she started to talk and she was babbling and incoherent. And I finally said to her, say, would you find the person that dialed the seven numbers plus the area code and put them on the line because you're mad as a hatter. See, now there was a part of her that had dialed the numbers in a perfectly sane way, then got me on the phone and went insane. It's like coming, somebody comes to me and says, Ramdas, I'm so depressed. First, you've got to feel with them the feeling of depression. You go in and you, oh boy, are you depressed? Ooh. Then you say, are you completely depressed? Yes, completely depressed. Every bit of you is depressed? Yeah. 
What about the part of you that is telling me you're depressed? Is that depressed? Well, no, that's just telling you. Aha. There's the leverage right there. That's the beginning of the witness. Often when you're in some emotional state, maybe there is 1% of your mind that is just sitting there saying, ah, depression. Ah, despair. And the rest of you is, oh my God. And at first, you treat that 1% as if it's some aberration. But one of the methods is to cultivate that thing. It's called the witness. So that you get a teacher that reminds you to notice what's happening. You just note what's happening. And the noting extricates you from the identification with the phenomena itself. It's very vulnerable. The person, one of the persons who expounded the technique of the witness was uh, Uspensky in the book In Search of the Miraculous. Uh, he was a student of Gurdjieff. And he describes how he's decided to witness himself. And he says, Uspensky is walking down the street. Uspensky is turning left. And he's witnessing along merrily. And he notices his tobacconist's shop, and he remembers he needs pipe tobacco. Two days later, he recalls that he was doing an experiment. See how it went? Ooh, I need tobacco. And the mind is off and running. Ramakrishna talks about the relation of the mind to the awareness as a carriage with horses in which the coachman is the mind and the higher awareness is sitting inside the coach. And for as long as they can remember, the, the inner awareness has never said anything, just sat inside the coach. And the coachman has begun to think this is his coach or her coach and wherever she goes is where to go. Turn left, turn right. And then at one point, there's a little knock at the window and the being inside says, say, would you turn right? Please turn right. And the mind says to this higher self, who are you to tell me? The higher self says, well, this is my coach. And the mind says, don't be silly. This could be the dialogue between your thinking mind and your awareness. Because your awareness has been a silent partner for so long back behind your thought. So the witness starts with maybe 1%. And then after a while, there's more of it. And then there's more of it. And more of the time, you're just noticing what's happening. Not just emotions, but you're just noticing your life. You're just as if you're sitting beside yourself watching the whole phenomenon. Now, this is not what the psychologists call dissociation. That's what some of you in the here, I can feel with my higher wisdom, are thinking. What is that? That's dissociation. No, because it is not that you are not experiencing the feelings. 
Dissociation is a defense mechanism in which you can't handle the feelings, so you push them away by separating your awareness off. This one is where you feel the feelings and you add this in. It's not instead of, it's and also. Over time, that witness develops more and more and more until it gets to be around 50%. 51%. And then you watch that even though you can fall asleep, you awaken. Falling asleep means getting lost into the thought. And so that you're treating it all as absolutely real. While the creations of mind are relatively real, they're not absolutely real. The only thing that's absolutely real is truth, and that has no form. That's the awareness is the closest you ever get to that, and you can only be true. You can't know truth. So by one method, either concentration or mindfulness, the witness, the Zen technique, study until the mind beats the mind, whatever it is, you keep drawing back into spacious awareness. It's like the sky in which clouds are crossing the sky, but the sky doesn't run after the clouds or think it's a cloud or the cloud. The clouds just come and go. There we go. Uh, it's interesting, David, because he talks here a lot about the witness, Ramdas. And you have direct experience with Gurdjieff and Ospensky uh, to uh, to reflect on that. Uh, was it must have been fun for you when you first saw it? Because in the film, folks, Tuari talks about having a conversation with another Westerner around Gurdjieff, who he had never read a word of, but he <laughs> knew another miracle. He knew. <laughs> everything that Gurdjieff represented and had this deep conversation. And when he said, you know, I, I never read anything from Gurdjieff. I, I knew who he was. And well, how did you know all that stuff? He said, well, <laughs> I, I was, it was just, I was given, Maharaji gave me that gift. It's, yeah. it's that great. So, you know, isn't that great? Yeah. yeah Ramadas talks at the beginning, Raghav, something that really I loved, which is about the witness. Uh, which Casey moved you towards understanding that everything you say isn't gospel because everything you say is something that's coming out of usually out of some uh, some defiance of impermanence. But mm -hmm. he tells this story about, you know, he did these radio shows, I suppose, uh, in, in L.A., and people would call him up. I, I've listened to quite a few of them. They're wonderful. Mm -hmm. And they call him up with all kinds of problems. But they're usually based on... I, I love your books, and I, I, I love meditating, but I can't. And, uh, and then he talks about one woman who called him and was going to commit suicide. And this is, you know, she was terribly upset, obviously, and she wanted to kill herself, and she was crazy-fied on that. And then all he said to her was, I wrote it down, he says, well, okay, that's sad and everything, but just find the woman who dialed my number. Yeah, Tell me yeah, this. I love it. He says that. I just, I love it too, because mm. there's the genius of Ramdas and of Casey to just nail it with something that will be with you your whole life. That, you know, when I heard him say that in this piece, you know, it's just so um, 
easy to understand what he's talking about. Not talking about, oh, well, you know, there's some place, some pure land, and there's something. And most people are just very, very, very not thrilled by this kind of stuff because they go, oh, this is wacky, you know, you know, pass the carrot cake. I mean, it's just not with him, with Ram Das, with anyone I've ever met, and Casey in a different way, very different way, but similar in its total ability to pierce your ignorance mm -hmm. without saying you're an ignorant man. He's not saying that. Mm -hmm. He's saying, just think about it this way for a moment, <laughs> folks. And, you know, in the, and in the miracles, in the witness piece that Ramdas does, he says something very important. He says that, um, you know, people are very upset that they can't make it, they can't do it, they can't get there. And someone like Casey can help you, and someone like Ronas can help you. But he says, "Well, yeah, you can get it, but you got to cultivate it." And 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 Casey actually said that to me about something when we were talking. That yeah, don't be upset that you didn't get it immediately, you American. Uh, just think of it this way: okay, you can press a button, and Amazon will send you a car, or you can print a car. Great. It's not like that with with what they're talking about here. Unless you have a moment of, of samadhi or a moment of grasp or whatever, that can happen. But to keep it going, so it infects, in, and that's not the right word, it influences your whole life, your children, your friends. No, I like that word. It infects everything about you, about yeah. your life, and everyone around you. You know, as Ram Dass used to say, you know, when your heart gets clean, you're able to reflect this kindness, compassion, and love to everyone yes. around you. you know, radiate. Radiate. And you, you know, Raga, one of the things that, 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 that Ramdas says in one of these talks uh, on the network here, which I highly recommend to people, whether you know Ramdas or not, they're just marvelous. Um, he says, well, basically he's always saying, isn't he, that you need to just stop the train for a minute and one of the ways in which he does it all the time was via humor. And mm -hmm. Casey did the same thing. And even when yeah. Rambas was aphasic and, and getting older and, and had difficulties, as you all know, really hard problems, fierce grace, uh, he still made me laugh frequently, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and Casey could make you laugh in a second. And it was gentle, but it, was, it always meant something. And that was one of the ways in which he transmitted these very hard things to transmit to Westerners who really uh, are a distance away from this until they are not. Yeah. he. It's so far out. He was basically acting as the witness with us. Yes. Yes. yes and exactly. then that influenced our ability to be able to connect with that place where we were not going to get caught. And, then, and the witness, you know, like Ramdas's loving awareness, same thing. But it's not coming, you know, it cannot come from your mind, you know, it can't come from the thinking part, which is why Ramdas did the great exercise of breathing into the center of one's chest, spiritual heart, and taking breaths in, and I am loving awareness, or just loving awareness, like creating that space, and then you're out of your your head, at least for a short time. And Tuari used to say to me, which to me was the same thing, exact same thing, 
if you think you're my boy, he'd say, which I say in the movie, if you think you're doing it, you are lost, mm -hmm. right? And that's the same thing as coming from this, you know, uh, that usual, the place where we believe all our stories and our thoughts mm. and identify with the, the uh, that which gets everything accomplished, we think, the ego. And so he just would bust that all the time. And that consistency of it over the years. I mean, we didn't have to be with him. I mean, well, we we went, you know, some of us went to India a lot and hung out with him, and he came to America. But we talk on the phone, and and he'd say he'd be doing the same thing, you know, asking questions about the family. Actually, you know, part of this footage, which I know you've seen, which um, some of it was really just deeply uh, personal, where he talked about some of the satsang in America and. And referenced it. Uh, there is a section. He's talking to somebody, um, basically knowing that this the the footage would get to this person, and he's saying, "I believe that you know you need to meditate, you know, more um, frequently or something like that." He talked about meditation, but the end of it was, he said, which is for everybody. Meditation is not about power. It is not a business. Meditation is a way of life. He, he gave us that in such powerful terms because of the absorption that he would go into. But the reality, somebody who, <laughs> you know, is not a meditation teacher yet, we we could never get a teaching like that from right. someone who's has has the direct experience. So that's why everybody we thought it was worthwhile to share. First of all, make this movie, David and I, and Krishna Das, and all and Kabir Das, and everybody else who helped in Jai Utah, uh, Barvati, Radha, Sharda. We get them all in. Yeah, that is why we wanted to share this it has all of these themes and if you know ramdas and you've been um, a student of his teachings over years or more recently this film reflects them as we've just pointed out here through uh, giving examples of ramdas directly talking about the same themes that are in the in the film but ultimately it's a darshan film that's the way i feel when i see people they just get that which represents Neem Karoli Baba, which is not a, a person, it's not the man in the blanket. It's as Lama Suryadas aptly called him when he first went to see Maharaji, he wasn't available, and but he just sat and meditated and had this experience of that which is directly part of what the universe is. Whatever that is, we don't know what that is. And then he, they said, okay, Maharaji can see you now. And he went in to see Maharaji physically. And he was like blown away that that which he had experienced in this extraordinary spacious awareness was sitting in a body with a blanket on. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, that is, and he called that the big Maharaji. And that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Not the personality, the big Maharaji in terms of, of of the darshan of that with darshan meaning being in the presence of i think this I, I i'm proud of this film because it allows 
you know, through there has to be obviously some connection to uh, uh, love. I would just say that to the love inside ourselves, so that this this film reflects that which is in ourselves. And I think from that point of view, um, it's helpful. And so everybody, this film is available through ramdas.org. You go to ramdas.org slash brilliant disguise. You'll be able to stream it. There's going to be these wonderful extras, bonuses, some of which we just described. Um, and uh, and it, it, it's, uh, it all goes to help support what we do at the Love Server Member Foundation. And Dave, I really thank you for being here and sharing this with me. And, you know, more than uh, in reality, us doing this together, mm-hmm. you know, is certainly a highlight of, of no, uh, the working life I've had. David and I have done a ton of stuff together over mm-hmm. the years in music business and 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 the stuff we've done together with Ramdas and so on. So you this know, is... I'm sorry. I, I, it, it, what a big sign for me is this. I've done a lot of films, and sometimes with like major global figures, you know. But this is the first time that I've actually said on the phone, usually you know, in this case, please try and see this. And it's not because, hopefully, it's not because of pride or too much ego or everything. It's more because I don't do this as well. I've been telling people, you must see this, it'll help you, it'll help me. And, you know, that, that it, it, making the film was a delight. It was hard, but, you know, it was great. But the darshan, as you put it, is so perfect a word for this. Because it's not like going to a film and going, you know, taking out a popcorn and going, oh, when is this going to end, you know? It's not like that. You can stop and start this thing sometimes and go, what did he just say? Oh, God, mm. that's true. And, I, and, and, you know, when you make a film, as you very well know, Ryo, and, and I'm sure some of you out there know, it's a laborious thing. And eventually you get bored with it. You know, because you've been doing it too long. Never happened to me with this. It was. I just felt it was such a joy that it made me dream about Casey. Because you know, when you do mm. something, right? You know, yeah, you end, yeah. and you end up dreaming about it. Yeah. And that bardo, the dream bardo, is very powerful actually. And I, you know, feel that it was just such a privilege and a gift to be able to think that at any time, in any place, if someone just tunes into this, they're going to go, "Oh, right." I always right. thought that, but I, I believe it from him. And if that does it to eight people, it's 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 a yeah. triumph. Yeah, no, absolutely. So everybody, again, brilliant disguise. Go to ramdas.org slash brilliant disguise. And there's a page there to describe everything and give you the link to watch the film. And and again, all of this goes to support Love Serve Remember Foundation to continue doing these kinds of things. And um Again, thanks, Dave, for being here. Everybody, this is Ramdas here and now. And go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and there's a marvelous array of fantastic teachers that we've been involved with for many, many, for decades, really. And, uh, yeah, share uh, these uh, wonderful uh, episodes uh, that, uh, I mean, when I start to say, Wow, just go check out BeHereNowNetwork.com and I think of all the people that are on it. And then I start to think of, <laughs> holy Jesus, Joseph Goldstein. Oh, my God, Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzman. 
you know, it's amazing. Krishna Das and Ram Das, Alan Watts. I mean, it's pretty amazing. So check it out and we'll see you. Uh, Dave and I, you can hear us uh, at various times together um, on Mind Rolling. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Mind Rolling. We'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.